Well, this is going to be interesting. This definitely isn't. I think that's what everyone's going to like about it. No. Here we are. It's happening, right? Are you starting or am I starting? (laughs) We're cool, right? Well, I'm going to refill while we think about it. Okay, so I got this random DM. You're going to love this. It's from it's from old church folk. Um, she says, sweet friend, there's so much here that concerns me and raises red flags. And I write back real quick, like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I trust you know what's best for you, just like I know what's best for me. I love your heart for people. I hope you have a great day. Like, I'm not trying to be confrontational. And she took the bait. I mean, she comes back with, I'm worried though. It looks as though you're putting creation above the creator and leading others to do the same. And I'm just like, all I can think is, this is the most happy, most at peace, most confident and um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like secure, I have felt in a long time. Like the most freedom I have felt in a long time. And she just sees dysfunction. Mm. I love when people I'm not even going to say Christians because most people, they look at our freedom and they see dysfunction. It's such a fun world. (laughs) Um, My question for her would be like, you've been off of Instagram at that point in time for how long? And where was she then? Yeah. If God spoke to her to speak to you about where you are now, why didn't he have her speak to you when you were like going through hell? Oh, for sure. So where's the dysfunction in this? Is it in you <laughs> or is it in her faith? That would be my question. Yeah, I mean, you wanna get real, even if I didn't speak openly about what I was going through, that absence, that falling away from the flock, if you will, mm-hmm. should trigger people to check in. Right. And um, how many times do people ask your friend rather than come to you? Oh, I got lots of questions about you. How weird is that? I mean, <laughs> again, it's a dysfunction that I would just reach out to the person and ask right. them, like, where have you been? Like, what's going on? But it was okay. And you weren't the only one that someone reached out to, that people reached out to. Someone else was getting requests on on another person's behalf. And I just don't understand like the mentality behind that. And even if let's say they reached out to you personally and you didn't respond, that would be a dysfunction on your part in thinking that when I'm going through something, I'm not allowed to talk to people. Mm -hmm. Not to say that you were dysfunctioned, um, but that our world teaches us that we shouldn't be vulnerable with our mess. Right. If we have mess, then by God, you better keep that shit to yourself. Well, and that's why we always joke about like the pretties and the perfects. Yeah. Everything covered in gold and glitter and pink. It's not that we actually don't like that stuff. It's just that it's so many times it's used as like the glitter on the pile of shit. Mm -hmm. It's still a pile of shit. If you put lipstick on a pig, as my mom used to say, (laughs) it's still a pig. You're not going to make out with it. I love pretty things. I just want them to come from a place. And I don't know. Sometimes I feel like someone breaking open all of the hard parts of their life is one of the most beautiful, most beautiful things of all. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. 
this, this little exchange, as brief as it was, it just reminded me that like, not everyone can hold that. Not ev- They want the neat and tidy conversation. They want you to stay in line with what they know. The minute you branch off from what they think is right, um, there's too much chaos. And I don't know, in a lot of ways, I have like this weird empathy, some, like uh, compassion, because I think they just like don't know how to even engage. And I think that's like why I love we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um Cause that was like the most surprising thing about you was like, holy crap, I could say all these things and I would still have post-traumatic speaking disorder. I would go home <laughs> like, idiot, I can't believe you said that. And I'd explain it to you and you'd be like, girl, water under the bridge. Or you would be like, I didn't even think of it like that. Or, right. and I just appreciated that like, holy crap, I didn't have to go home and like give myself lashes, you know, like that, <laughs> those crazy Christian people who are Shame. like, you know, Shame. exactly. Like I didn't have to like bear the wounds of like my savior in order to be on your good side again. You're Cersei walking, (laughs) walking through the streets naked. (laughs) People throwing cabbages at my head. I'm the nun. Well, and you remember in Da Vinci Code that the the main culprit in Da Vinci Code, remember he like wore the the, Oh my goodness, I barely remember that. That was what I was thinking of. It's almost like I had to go home and like punish myself for being honest with you. And for like not speaking right. I don't know, it's just bizarre. I'm not surprised by that. Um, <laughs> babies. We got it. Um, I remember back in our mops days, there was a leader something or another, maybe a mom's night. I don't know. And I said that I was going to show up wearing like fancy clothes. I still have nightmares about this car. And I showed up not in like a ball gown, like I said I was going to, <laughs> but just, you know, an outfit I wore to a wedding. <laughs> And you said to me something like, you said you're going to be dressed up and you're not dressed up. I was like, you're not that fancy. You're not that fancy. And I was like, yeah, okay. But everyone's reaction <laughs> was, was horror. Like, whoa. And deep in my heart, I'm like, holy crap, did I just mess up? Because what I was like, girl, I was saying, wear it, dress up. This is Where's a- the ball gown? Like in my saying, you're not that fancy. It wasn't like I was cutting you down. I was more like, I wish you'd have done more, but everyone's response was like, whoa. And I, and I didn't see it that way. You didn't. Yeah. But I'm, I'm serious when I say it. I still have nightmares about that. That night. Um, <laughs> I felt so bad, but it was I drove there with two other girls and we went back to one of their houses for, I don't know, just to talk afterwards. And you sent me a text or a voicemail and I'm listening to it while I'm there. And I'm like, oh, stop it. <laughs> And this took me, I'm just so sorry. I didn't mean if you thought that I was going to, is that what I meant? I'm so sorry. And I'm just like, girl. I felt so bad. I was like, in my lame ass attempt to be funny, I think I just insulted you. That was not worth it. No. But your response, I've heard responses like that before, but I knew people were just like, whatever. And I really felt like, I really don't think she took it the wrong way. No. I don't know. I could exhale. But Maybe I wasn't fully recovered because I do still sometimes I'm like, was that mean? But I knew I didn't mean it. But that's the thing. Like when you are open and you're vulnerable and you show yourself like that and you start speaking freely and you're not sitting there trying to put like glitter and roses on it. I don't know. People don't know how to take that. Yeah. I feel like we all have those moments where we look back and think, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. And I actually just posted about this a few, probably a couple months ago. 
I was talking about all these stupid things I've said and how like 20 some years have been since then. And I still think about them. And then my girlfriend responds like, remember that one time you said this to that guy at work? And I'm like, oh my God, why did you remind me of that? I wasn't even <laughs> thinking of that one. That's so, yes. I don't need that. It's either, do you know the amount of therapy I've had to like do to forget about that? Thanks for bringing it back up. Right. Or I'm like, I've been focused on the wrong thing. Like that's what they care about. That's what I, <laughs> but even like that one, I didn't care that much about. But the one that I did think about was a dude when I was in seventh grade, eighth grade, seventh grade, some one of those two. There was this really cute guy who transferred into my school. And, you know, I went to a predominantly white school. There were like probably four black guys. Actually, there were three. I remember clearly there were three black guys. <laughs> <laughs> and a fourth one transferred into our school. Nice. And he was beautiful. And so this particular day, I'm working in our school shop or store after lunch and he's getting water at the water fountain next to the shop and I start talking to him all nervous like of course and then I say oh was that your little sister who just left and he's like yeah that's that's my little sister and I'm like mm, she's so cute it must run in the family <laughs> I died that's straight game Carmen <laughs> game <laughs> But I was dying in that moment because uh, girls are not supposed to do that unless they're fast. Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So in that moment, like now I'm like, yes, girl, get your man. Yep. Game. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, no, that's not what good girls do. This oh is dysfunction. But there is freedom, like freedom from from all of what people believe you should be. Oh yeah. Like that's what we should search for, but we all call that dysfunction. And I don't think that was wrong. Like that was your way of paying him a compliment, appreciating yeah. the beauty of God's creation. His beautiful, beautiful creation. Beauty. Which that is weird because it's like a little like <laughs> 12 year old beauty that I'm talking <laughs> about right now. But, but at that time. That anyone could make you feel that that was wrong. Right. To give, I'm sorry, but like to give love mm -hmm. to another person in that, I don't know, that was just, because what that did to you on the back and that you had to go home and again, you're like, now I got to go repent, you know, and like now I've got to go, all that stuff, you know? And I can never look at him again. You just committed all these things. You just did all these bad things. You're probably like questioning if you're so good getting into heaven after that. I mean, like take my eyeballs out. Cause if you look at someone with lust, you're supposed to pull out your eyeball. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> many parts of us would be missing if we took all that. Like <laughs> I would have been blind years ago. <laughs> then you have to like palpate your way. And then you like to accidentally touch people. You're like, I gotta cut my hands off. Like, uh, what are you totally left with? touched his dick. This is so <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. It's fine. I mean, it's not your, I mean, you're, I mean, it's, it's not fine. That's not consent, but <laughs> it's just the natural progression of things. You don't have any eyes anymore, Carmen. I was looking for his face. I found a different identifier, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, that feeling of freedom is such a wild thing. And I don't know, that has been the eye opener for me lately in conversations with you, though I still walk away from our conversation. Sometimes like I check myself and I have reflective moments simply because I know sometimes how I get when I go off on my tangents. We've talked about this. Like yeah. I talk 
so much per second. My thoughts come out before my brain has thought them. Mm -hmm. My brain is just like, she is literally going rogue on us right now. Like, what are we? They're all scrambling. Like, Houston. <laughs> we have a problem. We don't know what's going on. Um, the body has taken over. So after our talk, sometimes I do sit there like, is that okay? Do I need to check in about this? And it's not out of shame that I'm doing something wrong, but it is out of respect for our friendship and maintaining um, the shalom. Shalom. The shalom that we have created. And so there's no dysfunction in it. I think for me, the dysfunction would be to write all of that off mm -hmm. and then cover it with some, well, God knew what was in my heart. You can figure it out. You can take it up with him. Like, no, I don't think that's freeing for anybody. Mm -hmm. And um, I've really, I don't know, I've really embraced the fact that I choose to care about those things because I want to be a good communicator and I want to be a good friend. And um, I want to be a good sharer of opinions and ideas and all that. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't, I just no longer want it to be led by guilt and shoulds and all of that. So I think we have a good space here. Yeah. I mean, once you find your freedom, there's like one or two options, especially, you know, in terms of church or even political party, you know, it's. You branch off because what you believed is no longer true based on the newfound freedom you found or true for you. Or you decide to stay and you hold that space for those who are also staying and looking for a new way of doing things. Mm -hmm. For myself, I'm the one who chose in our situation here. In terms of a witch and a Christian, you know, I stayed and it's holding space and saying, okay, I may not have all the answers. I may not get it, but I'm still going to stay in this space and reconcile these feelings. And it gives other people who are choosing to stay the freedom to find their freedom, mm -hmm. the ability to know that they too can not accept what's being fed to them. I can't tell you how many times in the past year when I've felt afraid of saying something that I feel people will get angry with. Yeah. I've then received texts or DMs or whatever and they're like, I've been thinking the same thing. I've been wondering the same thing. I just wish things were different. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying it. And it's not like, ooh, a pet on my back. I'm so amazing. But it's like, I'm glad I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. I don't like being alone out here feeling like I'm this heretic who no longer believes what I'm supposed to believe. Like, no, I still believe in Jesus. I love him. I think he, he she, whoever is awesome. But the people... <laughs> They got some problems and I'm not going to keep walking down this road with them and believing that's okay. Because I know too many people who are beautiful within who deserve better than what the church has offered them. Yeah. Gosh, I, it doesn't surprise me at all that you've like opened up for people to be able to even claim that. Like maybe they're not ready to say it out in public in front of their people but you made them feel seen by saying it, you know, it's like the me too, the me too moment mm -hmm. where everyone has the same, or a lot of people have the same experience, but not everyone is strong enough or ready 
to come forward and say it. So someone has to start and then others can be like, I know that place. Me too. And Mm -hmm. I love that you created that. Like I said, I'm not surprised and you are awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that is, that's a power. That is such a power to be able to do that, to hold that kind of space. I mean, that's like bringing people through the roof. Mm, Yes. The roof. That's such a rooftop. That will always be where I, where I go. How can I bring them through the roof? Ah. Hopefully the roof is not on fire. Bad joke. Moving on. <laughs> well, music, we'll have to add musical <laughs> interludes for all of our little comments. Like, we'll the have, roof like, is on fire. The playlist of what was going on in our brains when we were saying these things. I have like six songs already so that many. I've heard in my head. I know, right? Is that weird? Last episode, it was Earth, Wind, and Fire. I listened to that yeah. song like after you went home. I played. I played that. <laughs> I started a playlist like just play songs like this and it was like the best cooking experience <laughs> <sighs> good days that's awesome so so what was your experience of branching off to freedom i mean like we touched on in the first you know our first episode it was just kind of like a recentering of why i was even believing or trying to believe mm-hmm. what i was believing what i was believing and maybe we'll have to do a whole episode on this sometime soon because like at what point like I, I believed things um but I always wanted that childlike faith where mm-hmm. I where I didn't have to question anything and I don't um, think that's ever gonna happen because I knew people who could do that they just could blindly follow everything they could just swallow everything spoon fed to them and I'm like why can't I just do that if I could just do that life would be so much easier or is that ignorance that's the thing I don't know but these were the women who were like held up as the best because they had this blind solid faith they never questioned anything never veered off the path and here I was like I can't even find the path that sounds like Sarah Palin it makes me I'm just saying I have so many I can see Canada from my home oh my gosh oh okay so many memes just happened (laughs) in my little brain um but yeah I think it was just a re or reassessing or recentering taking a look at all these things and why really asking myself why am I trying to believe all of this Mm -hmm. um because I had to get honest I was trying to believe I said I believed things but again when you're in a I'm sorry a system that is telling you this is what it is to be so you just say I believe And remember, we're working on a future goal here. We're going forward. Mm -hmm. So you don't just say, I want to believe in, no, I believe. And I think there's a scripture that says like, God knows the desires of your heart. And so like, if you take that one step, like he's going to take the rest of them for you. So you have to go into this as if. So there isn't the ability to say what you want. You say it as if you're already there, but then people come back at you. Well, you said you believed. I'm like, yeah, but the scriptures told me to, bro. Like, so I'm damned if I do or don't. But that's the thing is that I feel like so many churches teach that so wrong. Like I was just reading over one that where a little boy had died or something. Um, No, he didn't die. He was, uh, you know, exorcism, demon, demon Mm. stuff. And the dad brings them. It's a scripture. Oh, never mind. I thought you were saying this really because I've heard that there are actual exorcisms out there. No, it was uh, it was in scripture. And <laughs> like, when did this happen? He like the dad brings him to Jesus, and he's like, "I know you can do this. Like, I heard you can do this." And Jesus is like, "Yeah, bro, I totally can." And the guy says, "Help my unbelief." 
So it's like, he knows it. Jesus knows it. Oh, yeah. We have our yeah. unbelief. Help my unbelief. Like, he knows we're going to doubt. But I don't think churches want to teach that mm -hmm. because that's not as easily moldable. Exactly. Yeah. You can't get a Sarah Palin if you're telling them, help my unbelief. Yeah. No, you need a Sarah Palin who's going to go out there with her uh, fatigue jackets and her <laughs> rifles and... <laughs> And be a right. soccer mom and get all the women on her side because they're like, yes, I know a Sarah Palin. I'm a Sarah Palin. It, I don't know. Sorry, but I cut you off. No, but I'm just like, that's not an image I ever wanted to uphold or be like. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I'm just, I never wanted to, but I never wanted to be like that. But then again, I feel like I did because all of the women that I looked up to most of the women I looked up to were like that. The ones I was trying to mimic. Right. The ones I secretly wanted to be best friends with and go hang out with mm -hmm. were the ones that were like, that was wild. Or I can't believe we just actually talked. Every time we stepped away from the crowd and I heard someone express real feelings and emotions and response, I'm like, wow, we're allowed to believe that. Like we're allowed to ask questions about this. So that's all. It was just, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to ask myself why. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to see what comes up. And that's where it came or that's where it all came from. I think I mentioned like my returning to the crossroads. I just came back to step one and like, what would it look like if I did not choose that path? And so I don't want to go off too deep on this, but I think the other, the, the, the reason I was able to even step off altogether, I had to get rid of the belief in an eternal hell. Mm. I had to get rid of that because there was still some, some tetherings to that. But what if this is, what if that? I finally was like, what if it's not? What if it was just used to keep people in fear and make them work for these unattainable things? Um, and so, yeah, once I got rid of some of these unprovable, impossible to prove things, and I just went back to a place of being comfortable in the unknown, I don't know, immense freedom. Um, so I don't really disc, I don't discount anything, but I also don't put all of my effort and, and, um, energy into trying to make myself believe in it because I'm afraid I'm going to lose this group of people who really don't like me anyway. <laughs> that's, that's where I do not like you. They do not because I'm dysfunctional, Carmen. We're both dysfunctional. <laughs> Proud of it, baby. We're too, Every day. We're too open and honest. And I mean, they, I remember being, um, I remember us both being applauded for being raw, real, mm -hmm. honest, good. You're so transparent. You're so bold. Like, I you're love so your great. vulnerability. Until we bring it out and they're like, mm, reel it back in a bit. Like, but yeah. wait a minute. I thought that's what you wanted. Could you stop being so black, Carmen? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> you're making us scared and we don't want to face racism in America. Too black. Carmen. That is too hard. So let's remember that Jesus came for everyone, even the black people. And if we remember that, then you can stop being divisive. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Ooh. I have a next episode that I'm going to write that in the next episode column. Hashtag yeah. next episode. Divisive. Okay. But yeah, it's, I mean, how's your, how's your search for freedom going? Where are you finding it? Mm. or how are you coming to it or are you there I forget how you framed it for me but what is your what's your 
current relationship to free. Maybe I say it like that. I think my freedom is just being able to question and being able to think like, I thought for a while, like maybe quite possibly religion or my faith in God, like if God talked to these people in Israel, or as we know to be Israel, um, and he had this relationship with them, why not in India, could he not be talking to these people and in their language and in their culture, this is what came out. Mm. And if I thought those things, that's when I found out for real what universalism was. I was like, oh, that's a thing, universalism. But also I would then find out that that is really bad to say in Christian <laughs> hangouts. You can't say that. You are red flag um, forever if you even flagged. say the U word. Like. But it's like, you know, I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering. And I want to be able to have my wonderings. And that was when I decided my life in many ways would be what I call a willful wandering. Oh, I love that. That I want to find out. And it's not that I want to walk away from Jesus, but more of that, I want to walk away from the religion of Christianity, take Jesus with me, and he explained to me what's going on. And he's not going to explain to me like, yeah, nope, the Hindu's totally wrong. Nope, the Muslim's totally wrong. Only you are right. No, he's not going to do that. You mm-hmm. know, It's just more of when I go out into my world, how do I respond to it? How do I react to it? I remember when I was um, probably 13, maybe, uh, a friend invited me to go out with her and her mom, and I was bored. So I said, okay. It was an abortion rally, an anti-abortion rally. And I remember being there at this anti-abortion rally, like, what is going on? Oh, my gosh. And I had so many feelings about it. And I was like, okay, abortion's wrong. But then I'm like, but what if this happened? And what if there's this? And why is it my business? And I start going down this rabbit hole at 13 about what I feel about abortion because my friend's mom took me to an abortion rally. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And so for the next like three years of my life, I'm thinking, I wouldn't call it traumatizing. I think it was the beginning for me of realizing that I could have my own thoughts. Yeah. That I didn't have, like I trusted her the mom as a a leader and as a Christian, but then this happened and I'm like, does that make her right? I see. Can I trust her to always be right? No. Can I trust my parents to always be right? No. Right. (laughs) So I have to be able to have my own voice and to create my own thoughts, which honestly was never an issue for me, especially if you ask my parents, I never had an issue creating my own thoughts. (laughs) But we have to interview your mom one time. Standing up for myself. Like (laughs) I didn't say to her, like, you need to take me home. But in that moment, it allowed me to say, you know, I don't think this is something I align with. Mm -hmm. And then being okay with that, that I can fully believe I would never stand up against someone making a decision for themselves. I can be with them. I can sit with them. I can, if they ask my opinion, talk to them. Yep. But I don't feel comfortable ever telling someone what you're doing for your body 
is 100% wrong. And I will never support anything anyone does that allows you that autonomy. Yeah. Like I could, I could not do that. Life is too big. The world is too big. God's creation to me is too big to say that is 100% always will be correct. Nope. Can't do it. Dang. I didn't even think about abortion when I was your age. When I was at, at that time, I mean, like when I was at. <laughs> I mean, age. I didn't either I until didn't that know. moment. <laughs> but like I didn't have that. Yeah. Cause I, I came to faith late twenties. Mm-hmm. And so any talks about it, we're just a really, we're, we're absolutely that person's choice. Right. And then, and, and then coming to church, it was like, whoa, like people are really all about this. And I mean, there's a whole lot to it. And it was the source of a lot of arguments between me and a lot of like the pearl clutchers in our circle. Mm-hmm. But it was just like really hard for me to reconcile how we love children, but once they're born <laughs> and if they live in a different country, they're all of a sudden disposable. And the or one, if their parents are poor. Exactly. Like, or immigrants or refugees. So that was always very confusing. That's a whole other episode. Whole nother whole episode. episode. Dang. So in many ways, we're kind of on the same page here. Like you branched off, but your goal was to go into the unknown and be able to ask why. I stayed, but my whole thing was... I want to be able to ask why and support those who also want to ask why that allows us to stay here. Cause like in the first episode, I mentioned that my first or second or third, I don't know, deconstruction was no matter what happens, my base will be God is real. Everything else I've ever learned can go in the trash. I'll learn it again, or I'll learn what's actually going on in the Bible. Um, But ultimately, God is real. That's it. Um, But from that standpoint, if you're taking away everything that you've learned, which for me growing up in the church was, you know, Satan and being afraid of hell and the rapture. And what if I do some horrible sin? Like my sister just sent me this meme of it said, like, parents to their child why are you so afraid of everything? And it's a picture of Oprah like looking crazy and around it, it says like rapture, uh, evangelizing, purity culture. And it's like, yeah, because they've always taught me to be afraid of everything. If I slip up and I kiss a boy, am I going to hell? Exactly. Like if I allow my, my womanly ways to incite me to passion, am I going to hell? If I get raped, is it my fault? Am I going to hell? Like, if I don't evangelize to this person who's sitting next to me telling me they're Muslim, am I going to hell? Like, everything was a pathway to hell. And that was exhausting. So it's like, everything became an enemy. Mm -hmm. And like I just mentioned about the abortion rally, um, I think that is like I said, it helped me to find out like maybe what I've learned isn't right. So apparently I started deconstruction at 13 and didn't know it. I love it. But a few years later, a friend came to me and he was talking about how a girl he liked told him that she believed in abortion. And she was like, oh, you know, if someone wants to do it, let them do it. And he's like, well, 
that was quick. I no longer like her anymore. And I was like, dude, what, what does that like, what? And I explained to him like, you know, this, like, this is not about you. Right. You have to give people freedom. So at 16, apparently, <laughs> I then, you were like you the know, voice of reason. It I gave it. me power at 13 to know that I don't have to agree. And at 16, I could say to a dude, you probably should agree with her mm-hmm. that not that it's allowed, but I told him like, you know, I'm pro-choice too. I'm free for, I don't, I would never do it. Right. But I'm pro-choice. Yeah. And I think that was the first time that I ever felt like I could stand up for something and be okay with it because she's not my enemy. The person who gets the abortion's not my enemy. Mm-hmm. The person who has sex at 16 is not my enemy. Cause I mean, he was fine with her not being a virgin, See, yeah, but he was not standards. fine with her being okay with having an abortion. And I'm like, Oh, so you're, you're okay with that. Hmm. That tells oh me a lot. Gosh. You created an enemy out of nothing. Yep. And I'm not here to create enemies. That's not what I think this Bible thing is telling me. We we need to find some some ground here. And he refused to to leave that idea behind. Oh, there's so much in that. <laughs> hmm. Um, dang. Again, it's just wild because I never had conversations like this. Like that it just because I forget. And for people listening, like I didn't grow up in church. If this is your first time listening and you didn't hear, Carmen grew up in it. I didn't. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, I was only like a 10 year old Christian for as Mm -hmm. much as I knew. Um, So when I hear these stories, it's like, wow, what was I doing at that age? And not like you were in deep conversations about real things with people. I didn't realize that I was until right now. I I was wasting my life. No, but it's just like so crazy to me. And that this was all normal and okay. And then I'm sorry, but that parents were just complicit and supportive and like the driving force, depending mm-hmm. on the intensity of your parents. And I've heard of like a whole range of, of uh, structures and I'm just, my heart breaks for a lot of the kids. And so to see them all in these deconstruction circles now, I can't even blame them. I'm mm-hmm. just, some of the stuff they're talking about, I'm just like, holy crap, I can never do that to my kids um, or my friend's kids or, or whatever, you know, or kids in, in my care and, in, in, you know, in, in a, I don't know. I couldn't either. I mean, that's probably like, I'm just, if you think of how a lot of marriages could end from that, oh yeah, because a woman isn't able to separate Mm. or a man feels like his woman isn't submissive enough. And these marriages that they're claiming are of God fall apart because they can't believe in the same God at the end of the day, even though they have the same faith. Jeez. It's baffling. That's a lot. But if we both hold open hands to what this is, that wouldn't be the case. If two Christians walked into a marriage with open hands of or holding space for each other's doubts and insecurities and concerns, there would never be a moment where they're like, you're not submissive enough for me. Right. It would hold the space to say, okay, let's let's figure out what this really means for us and our marriage and how we can bring God into it. Mm-hmm. How does God want this for us that aligns with where we both are? Yeah. And maybe one of us will change. Who knows? I like that. The stuff you don't hear in church, man. <laughs> the stuff that but you, you only wish never preach about. Because church tells you, you what's, know, 
Like be this, submissive to your husband. Do what he says. You know, and those one scriptures are like just set as the bar. And I, mean, I probably shouldn't have said that because a lot of churches don't actually teach that anymore. But <laughs> I mean, maybe not explicitly, but it's it's in all of it. Yeah. Like the fact women still can't preach in a church, like they're relegated to childcare, mm. worship, and um, women's ministry. And show even... me a church with the lead woman pastor, and I'll show you a dollar. Exactly. I'll show you a million dollars. A million. It's it's just still such a weird, weird thing that the church can claim they're so progressive, and yet, I mean, the roots are what they are. Um, <laughs> painting the roses red, like. You're not oh. changing anything. You're you're mm, not changing. Uh huh. Um, no, all I keep thinking is, like the, like the reason I was able, I had jotted this note down because it, it really is like a linchpin kind of moment. I don't know, or the pivot moment. I don't know how to best explain it, but I've told you this before. I've said this before to other people, but like as a Christian, because I came in with so many unknowns, and remember my attachment to the theology and the story and the narrative and the image of Christ and the vision of this, this freedom and this savior and this, this whole beautiful thing was rooted in my fear of being abandoned by a group of women that I wanted to remain close with in order, like the price I had to pay to be their friend was to cut parts of myself out and off. I did that. But then I still expressed parts of myself that let me somewhat feel tethered to myself. But as long as I did that within a certain construct, like a certain, I left a certain amount of Christianese on it. I left out too much of the crazy. And then I just became that weird hippie Christian friend. With essential oils. I know. It was like, oh, she's so cute. She does her own this and she does her own that. But really, like, I was holding back so much. I was still very much seeped in the unknown and okay and cool with that. Mm-hmm. But I took, I took a hold of enough to to stay in with this group because I really wanted them to, to appreciate and love and, and approve of and receive me. I look back now and I'm like, that's total bullshit. Never cut parts of yourself off for other people. Right. If they don't like all of you, then they are not for you. You, and I would, cause I wasn't being disrespectful. I would just being on it. I would have just been being myself, my full self. So anyone who could not receive all of you doesn't deserve any right. of you. I, I just did not, tell myself that I would tell that to anyone else. And I just didn't feel I, I deserved that same love. It's Mm -hmm. a weird thing, but all that to say, coming in with that mentality, I had a lot of unknowns that I was obviously comfortable with. I mean, I'm so comfortable in the dark of life, but, um, for that reason, I was, I was not afraid of the devil and hell. I'd heard about it. I read about it, but I wasn't like afraid I was going there. If I messed up, I was Mm -hmm. afraid I was going to lose people who liked me in Bible study or in ministry or in the church. Interesting. That's what I was afraid of losing because that's what, that was my buy-in. I wanted community, mm-hmm. but I wasn't afraid of going to hell. And this other side of that same coin is I also wasn't looking forward to heaven. I mean, let's be real. This idea that thing. people have of like, you're going to go to heaven and you're just going to sing praises to God all day. I have multiple nights laid in bed. Like that sounds boring. <laughs> And I have <laughs> laid there and had panic attacks to where I legit, I'm sorry if your kids are in the room, plug their ears. I will Ear lay mops. there thinking about this idea of eternity, never ending. Mm. There's no end or beginning. It just keeps fucking going. And I would be laying in bed thinking about this and just singing alleluia, singing alleluia. And I'm like, fuck, 
Fuck, fuck, fuck, fuck, fuck, fuck, fuck, fuck, fuck, fuck. That sounds horrible. I love that. I don't want that it. That cracks me up. But I love Jesus. I just don't want that. Do you think anyone really wants to be sitting on a cloud waving palm branches all day long? I, God, I hope not. It's all. Because if that's what your beauty, like, and that makes me feel like a terrible Christian. Mm-hmm. But it reminds me of that the year BSF did Revelation. <laughs> yeah. And my first day in class, the teacher asked, why do you want to do Revelation study? I was the last person to answer. Every woman, this was a child class. So like we all had kids. Every woman in there was like, I just can't wait to meet Jesus. I just can't wait. I just want to know more so I can get ready to meet Jesus. And I'm like, I'm in no rush. (laughs) Not a bit. I'm in no rush to leave this planet. And I'm looking at them like, I miss the Kool-Aid. Where is the Kool-Aid at that I was supposed to drink before I sat down? Oh my gosh. And then I was like, okay, I'm never returning. And I did not go back. Oh, wow. I never went back. That was it for me. Nope. Don't want that. If everyone sitting around me is saying they can't wait to meet Jesus, you know, the idea is cool, but you know, I'm kind of comfortable, but like, I love Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I love my faith, but an eternity of, of clouds and, and palms and singing Alleluia. Like there's this song by a gospel singer where the whole song is <laughs> singing holy, holy. The yeah. four and 20 all knelt down, <laughs> casting down their golden crowns like that. As beautiful as that imagery <laughs> is. No, thank you. You're like, I can't make it through four minutes and 72 seconds of this song. How am I going to do this for an eternity? Right. Like, how am I going to do I- this? My husband cannot stand praise and worship. Well, he's going to be doing it. He's screwed. <laughs> screwed. I am and dying. if I was a different person, I'd be like, you need to start loving this. This is the rest of our eternity. This is so and good. And he'll be like, well, fuck this. You're like, I can't I go forward with if this. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. Because personally, if I'm thinking the rest of my eternity will be that, then I might as well live it the fuck up right now. Mm-hmm. I might as well go out and screw everything in sight. This really got off the rails. Screw everything it's in perfect. sight, do anything I want, make it all the fun I could have. And then like every night before bed, be like, but Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me for my sins. Well, I no, repent. You're just Catholic. <laughs> and then that was me. I can go to heaven. <laughs> and then I can spend the rest of my life, my eternity being bored as hell. No. Do you really think that's the way it's supposed to be? I don't think so. I don't either. And one of the things that helped me to really like come to terms with that, this these feelings were older. Um, I still I, I still have panic attacks about death sometimes at night. Oh yeah. Like I will still wake up screaming like that, and my husband will be like, "Oh, you're doing it again." I'm like, "I know." Wow. <laughs> but um, a book that helped me, which some of his other books are really crazy, so don't read them. Um, but there was a book called Garden City, and okay. it's about um, what the Garden of Eden should have been and how that could look like in terms of eternity. I like that. And listening to that book was like, oh, okay, I feel a bit better. It gave me a new way of thinking about it compared to what the church argues with us or tells us like what the church, I can't handle that. 
It's all my fear. brain can't. It's take all that. to keep that fear there, so you and do I not step out of line. And that, like my childhood, a lot of my fears were just from the idea of death, what would happen, and how I could handle it. Like, part of me was like, I wish I didn't have faith, and I could just believe that when I died, it just went black. Yeah. There's no consciousness. There's no nothing. That's the end. But- I have a thought on eternity. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I remember hearing this for the first time. It was a revelation Bible study of all things that where I learned when we go, that's what was going to happen is we'd be singing and praising and waving all day long, every day, forever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of like the idea of fire more than that. Like, because <laughs> I love me a campfire. And this Being was... tortured at least is interesting. <laughs> I'm like, well, I mean... I don't know. A little bondage never hurt anybody. <laughs> Talk about a whole nother episode. But this is where my, like, this is where my mind went. Like, who says that that is the ideal? But then because I was a heathen who read people outside of, you know, the top four white pastors in America, um, I read about alternative views on um, things like mm-hmm. time, grounded sound things like time. And this particular topic, this person, like this, this speaker, this person in this specific topic had noted that eternity wasn't the infinite amount of time, but it was outside of time, being outside of the constructs of time. And so it's not that you're going to do something forever, but it's that you are so present in something that lots of time could pass and you wouldn't even know it. Or a little bit of time could happen, but it feels like forever. And we go through that as humans. Yeah. How many times have we sat there on the phone, like, or on Zoom, and it's like, it's already been three hours that our kids are hungry. Like, what happened? <laughs> or we are somewhere and we're like, it's only been 10 minutes. Yeah. Like, it's all, it's so the topic of being eternal in this, in this, this realm of thought mm-hmm. was that it was outside of time as we knew it. And I mean, obviously the church doesn't teach this. I mean, Kelly used to pray that during our mops, remember? She'd be like, Lord, double our time. Oh, I know. And we'd be like, multiply our time. Multiply our time. Multiply. Even though we're only there for two hours, it can sometimes feel feel like like five. Yes. Like, (laughs) and multiply the bacon while you're at it. Can we get some more blueberry muffins? Like, why? The bacon always ran out. Why didn't Pray for more bacon, I'm like, Carmen. Girl, I swear you said you were a vegetarian. We were missing out. Give me that. <laughs> there was no truth happening. <laughs> but my thing with the, the concept of like sitting on a cloud and whatever is like, well, guys, if this is the most creative being in all the universe who creates billions of universes mm-hmm. with not universes, sorry, billions of galaxies within our universe. Yeah billions of stars within our galaxy billions of people in our earth billions thousands of millions of species of trees and flowers and whatever do you really think he's gonna phone it in on eternity oh yeah (laughs) he's like you know what i did all this work for when you're here you know just for these 20 70 years but when you get to eternity bland as hell oh i know right that makes no sense and when I tell myself that, I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. I can trust that he has better plans than sitting on a fucking, damn it, sorry, sitting on a cloud. <laughs> he has better plans. Way better plans. There's got to be more to it. And we cannot, like, we can't comprehend what's in these ancient texts. 
I want to bring us back because you just made such a good point. We were so afraid of the image of eternity that we were given that we, that's why we would stay in the certain and the known because that was our ticket to heaven. That was our escape from hell mm -hmm. was believing these things without question. But the fact is like, we still had questions. So many. We still had so many. And like I said, me coming into faith with a lot of unknowns meant I was not afraid of hell, but I also wasn't elated for heaven. And you, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I get it, but just from what you've said, like the fact you knew about this terrifying place and this beautiful place, albeit exhausting boring. and boring, <laughs> um, you still were willing to get into the trenches with people and ask questions and assert your inquisitiveness and um, dip your toes into that free thought. Oh my, like that is, you are a rule breaker from day one. I love it. I love it too. <laughs> <laughs> I really I think love that's it. why when I was in high school and we had to do Western Civ, because apparently you can only learn about Western civilization and not anything else. Oh my God. Um, my favorite thing was always about Greek, Greek philosophy and Socrates and Aristotle and Plato and everyone else. Like that was my jam. Mm -hmm. My teachers could not stop me from getting A's on that shit. Everything else, I'm gonna fail. But philosophy, you that was stuff. like, I like this, give me more. Oh, those, I mean, well, like we've talked about this before, those images of them, mm -hmm. like, talking to one another just all day long and there's just lush gardens around them and the Adriatic Sea or Mediterranean in the distance. And it was like, what a beautiful day, man, to just sit there and wring out some brain cells on each other and just like make each other dizzy with your questions and your theories. Can you imagine some dudes just doing that now? I like waking up like, man, the sun is so cool. Look at the sea. Dude, let's just go sit at the edge and talk some shit. It would, Can I would fall in love with every man in that circle. Oh my gosh. Like, I, I have mean, such low standards. No, I am so there with you. <laughs> Listen, I am a sapiosexual to the core when it comes to that because- Oh, like, what a what? Say, oh, sexual? I might say it wrong. Sapio, sapio. I've only read the word. I've not actually spoken it out loud. No, mine was the osexual part. Sapio or sapiosexual. Yeah, it's, it's a term. It's like where you do not, you're attracted to someone's brain, mind, intellect. Oh. Yeah, so you've yeah. literally got like a nerd crush. I could totally have a nerd crush, but then my like physical eye crush would be like girl by. Well, that's the thing. Like, so like, yeah, we would watch all these and they'll be like, I love all of you. I love yeah. all of you. And then I'd like turn around and see Hercules walking past and be like, ah, just kidding. And then the other part lights up. But yeah, there's, um, there's something about that. I mean, like that's where we've always talked about with me and you, like find your Socrates. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, do you want to explain to everyone where that came from? Cause that's. That's become like kind of a little tagline that's been in the in the back, but right. it really is such a core to who we are, how we interact. And like, I don't know, it's it's important. I think it kind of started when we first um, went back to talking more frequently after, you know, your transitional phase of just finding out where you were in life. And <laughs> you made it sound like I went from like human to <laughs> I know. Or something. Transitional phase. <laughs> Of like, you just kind of like, you know, you kind of disappeared for a little bit and I was still present in your life. Mm. But I knew like, once we started talking again more frequently, I'm like, okay, things have changed. Yeah. But You're I like didn't know what had changed. For a long time. That was weird. And I didn't know where you were anymore. 
I didn't want to assume where you were. And so a lot of it was just, you would talk and I would get these little tidbits of like, okay, that's changed. Mm. Oh, she's no longer here anymore. Um, but I had questions. Yeah. And so I would just ask like, okay, so what does that mean? So where is this? What's, what's that? Like there was one day where you said, I don't care. Just, just don't pray for me. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. I mean, let's be real. Yeah, I'd When people say not. to me, don't pray or sorry. When people say pray for me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you. And that's my prayer. <laughs> me saying I'll pray for you oh, is my prayer. See, I'm afraid I'm of not people gonna who remember. actually pray because. I'm not going to remember. But like, that's my thing. We're talking about transgendered rights. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> And so it just became this space that I could hold for you to, or hold for myself. Cause I was also curious, mm-hmm. like, okay, what are you thinking now? And it just became this space where we could sit in our personal Acropolis over yes. zoom yep. and talk about where we were. And it, I knew that no matter how many questions I had or where I even personally was, I knew you would respect where I was you knew that I would respect where you were and that we could have these open free dialogue without being worried that we would cross a line. Yep. Cause we left that line behind a long time ago. Oh yeah. So we had a, we found our Socrates person who was going to just keep questioning us until we came to a place of like, Oh, this is where I am or this is where she is. Yeah. You always would ask, tell me more about that or. You never came back like, oh my gosh, I'm so concerned about you. Mm. Even if you were, I think, well, even if you were, and even if you said it, I don't think it would have been nearly as douchey as like the rest of the other people who came at me with, because they either were doing it from being in a self-righteous, clearly self-righteous mindset. Like I know better for you, or they were just so wrapped up in how my friendship as it was served them that me being more fully myself meant that they lost whatever they were gaining from me. Right. And I didn't like that either. So I never got either of those vibes from you. Yeah. Like, if I was ever concerned about you, it was literally because I was concerned exactly. about you and like you, your physical health. Oh yeah. But remember like, everyone else was worried I was going to burn in hell and yeah. you never were like, but Kristen, the devil. I mean, listen, you if never you burn did, in hell, I'm pretty sure you'll be okay. <laughs> I mean, it's so crazy. Like <laughs> a fire cannot kill a dragon. I just, I yeah, mean, I have all these Khaleesi vibes when I think yeah, of it. But, I mean, hey, but again, that was because I never had a very literal image and therefore very founded fear in hell. I just never embraced the reality of it enough to be afraid. That's why it wasn't hard for me to let it go altogether. It's just back to being a question on the table. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I've like, it doesn't exist. That's ignorant. It's almost as ignorant as saying it does exist to say Mm -hmm. it doesn't. So in that my integrity is intact and I'm consistent because I never had the answer even when I was a devout believer. But because of my label as a Christian, everyone just assumed I was trying to avoid hell like everyone else. Um, so all that to say, yeah, the the talks we had and the questioning and all that um, were so cool because I was just like, I, have a, I finally can be free like to just talk to somebody. And when I told you don't pray for me, I kind of want to touch on this for anyone listening who always had a queasy feeling about like prayer, because I don't know how many times, like, here's the reason. I'll just say this. I didn't want people praying for me anymore because they were either gossiping. Let's be honest. That was, that was the Christian girl's guide uh, or uh, on-ramp to gossip in Jesus name, or they were just willing my life in a direction that better suited them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want that either. 
So I was like, you know what? You you don't have to pray for me. I'm going to relieve you of the obligation um, to feel you have to <laughs> sprinkle glitter on the pile of shit that is talking about me. Just go talk about me. You don't have to pray <laughs> for me. Just go gossip. That's fine. Or I'm going to relieve you of the obligation to tell me how I should best live my life. You don't have to do that for me. So when I say don't pray for me, maybe it comes off as disrespectful, but the, my reasons for it illuminate the disrespect I have felt in that sphere. And it's just a boundary I've set up now. I can't stop people from doing what they want to do in their own free time. But if someone ever says to me, I'm going to pray for you, I will respond with a very bold, you really no. don't have to do that. Actually, please don't do that. And because no is not enough, especially for people who think they have the answer on life, they will respond, well, what do you mean? And then I will say what a dysfunctional thing it is to assert that you know better about my life. Right. Um, and that you are going to pray it goes your way. And so I don't know, but that's, and that's the thing. I'm not out to fight, but um, I have boundaries now and it's not to keep people out. It's to show people the way in. Um, but a lot of people don't like that. And that is why those great minds and those deep conversations and those like those highbrow discussions were so freaking magnificent because nobody in those talks believed they had the ultimate truth. They would fight for their side. Yes, but they never asserted they had the ultimate. It was just, but think of it this way, but think of it that way. It was always to put more on the table to discuss, not to wipe anyone else's thoughts off. Right. And we're in a, a society where it's like, my opinion pushes yours off the table. And they think their opinion pushes, you know, the others. And it just right. doesn't have to be that way. There's room for it all. Mm -hmm. There is room for everyone at the end. All are welcomed here. You can sit with us. I'm pretty sure that's how the last episode ended. I screamed it though. Huh? I screamed. You can sit with us! <laughs> I was really happy about it. <laughs> you can sit with us. So there's a story by Plato. It's a theory, um, the allegory of the cave. And I've really always loved this bit of wisdom um, from the philosophy world because it is such um, a vivid image of what it is to be mm, like humans lacking a lot of insight into things outside of their realm of consciousness or like what's immediately visible to them, what is happening in their immediate community, you name it. And in short, I mean, you could look this up and get the deets, but Essentially, there is a group of people who are imprisoned in the cave and they can literally only face this wall and behind them is a fire. And what they see on the wall is shadows that are projected from images passing in front of this fire. And because this is all they see and the people to their left and their right continue to affirm that they see the same things, this becomes their actual reality. And the fact is we know that there's more in the world than what they're seeing in this cave, that these are not real. This is not just the, the facts and all that there is. And in this allegory, it takes someone actually leaving the cave and going and seeing that there is just an expansive and um, vibrant reality that they all have access to if they would just free themselves and step out and go see it for themselves. And here's the hard part, realign their truths and their beliefs um, and what they see when they think of the world uh, or what they think of when they see the world, I should say. 
But um, all too often what we find is people would rather remain stuck in what is comfortable and what they've always known rather than venture out in, um, into the great unknown and into this big, scary space that they just didn't know existed um, and to take a look for themselves. And so the allegory of the cave is a reminder to me all the time to really keep looking and searching. And when others introduce me to things, um, that I can go and see it for myself and I can take a second look at the things I've long believed and that I can even have my own thoughts and ideas and feelings, even if I'm surrounded by the people that all along, you know, we all believed the same things. There's a freedom in it. And um, so, yeah, you should definitely look it up and add it to your lexicon of wisdom. Lexicon, what a word. I mean, I think what's interesting about that is that Interesting about that is that um, it doesn't take away the truth of what you saw. Mm-hmm. What they saw and knew in the cave was still there. Yes. It didn't change that. The only thing that needed to change was their perspective of it. Yeah. It was no longer their whole world. It was just now a part of yes. their world and a part of their new knowledge. Um, and as, you know, like a segue, I think, you know, Kristen talks about the allegory and a couple of years ago, actually, I think it was just last year, I was really into this concept of a salon um, and how in the 1600s, like the French noble women had nowhere to go to talk out their feelings. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, at the time, the dudes had all the power. Um, King Louis Fourteenth was like the head of state. He was all about absolutism the church at that time also had all the power um and these women were like but i have questions and so instead of um trying to force everyone to listen to them because they knew that wouldn't work um these french noble women decided to just open up their homes in opening up their homes they would bring in everybody Mm -hmm. there was no limit the poor were allowed to come women were allowed to come the men who couldn't be with the other men because they were into poetry and the arts and not war uh they would show up and in showing up um it became it like started a revolution Mm -hmm. this was the beginning of the french enlightenment period that if these women hadn't allowed themselves to question what they were being taught or what they were allowed to think so much stuff would have been lost in this period um People like Thomas Paine and things that Thomas Jefferson talked about came from this period. Um, Galileo came from this period. The idea of the separation of church and state came from this period. Um, So we have to allow ourselves that space to begin a revolution. I'm sure the dudes did not want a revolution, but it was so needed. And it took people who were willing to step outside of what they believed to be true or what they had been taught to be true. It took them to begin the resistance, to begin enlightening themselves to a newer world. Um, What I found really interesting, (laughs) I didn't really tell Kristen about this, but uh, what they called like this space where they would meet was called a Salah. which is basically a large room mm. in French. And maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong, but I think Kristen's getting where I'm Ooh, going with this. I'm picking up what in, you're putting down. In the Bible, mm-hmm. 
and a lot of the Psalms, especially at the end of a verse or end of a chapter, it would say Salah, which in that term meant a heavy place, a rock, a fortitude, a place where you would just wait and sit with it before you moved on. I can't help but see the correlations here between Salahs, Mm. between sitting in a place, a large room or a heavy place and sitting with the ideas until you're ready to move on. So my friends, as we end episode two of So We're Cool, Right? I hope that you allow your space, allow yourself the space to sit with the heavy thoughts and the ideas that you're not quite sure of yet. But I hope our space here gives you that opportunity and the bravery. Till next time. Thank you.